right, people, it is Monday, April 17th, and you're watching Market Call. That's M-R-K-T Call. I'm Dan Nathan. I am joined by Carter Braxton, Worth of Worth Charting. Guy is off today. We're sponsored by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think uh, our main man, uh, Jacob, is going to put a little stinger there down in the bottom there and just kind of smash that sub subscribe button. Um, we're having a lot of fun with that. All right, Carter. So where Bradley, is he? What's he doing? Guy, he you know what? Guy is, guy is never fully on vacation, just so you know, especially because when he gets on an aeroplane, he gets on with a uh, – probably the way you do also with a sport jacket um, and tie. He's kind of old school a little bit, you know, so he's out in California this week. Nice. Yeah, a little time off, so we appreciate you doing um, some heavy lifting here, CB Dubs. Um, let's kind of get into it. You know, earnings season started. Um, you know, we've been kind of like, you know, really kind of talking about the lead up to it, what expectations were, how the market was acting, what bad news was in some of the groups that had kind of been dictating a lot of the market action. What was kind of a little bit of your takeaway um, last week? Because Friday's action in the banks, and, and again, I think you were probably in this camp. I know I was, while I'm not, you know, particularly excited about like the prospects for the banks, you know, especially the large money center banks. If we do have a weakening economy, if we do find ourselves um, in a recession at some point this year, the volatility we've seen around the rates, the uncertainty with the Fed and what they are going to do with Fed funds rates, um, with quantitative tightening, um, all the like here. What was your take on Friday's price action? Because having a stock like JP Morgan make up, let's say, 60, 70% of its declines of the last month in one fell swoop is a powerful move. And I'm just curious what your thought was on that move in JP Morgan, but also in the banks in general. Right. Well, one thing to consider putting it all in context is when you get increased volatility, news related, or fundamental related volatility to the downside, you can get a, an equal and opposite move to the upside. So JP Morgan's quite incredible re rating up is simply a function to some extent of the preceding weakness, not only in it, but the other banks. The real question is, as a, you know, sometimes things are cheap for a reason. And there's a reason that these operating businesses trade at book, trade at, you know, three and four and five times earnings, because uh, as distinct from, you know, selling uh, sushi or soda water or sneakers, you, you can have a crisis. You don't really have a crisis when you sell sneakers, but as a lender, things can go really wrong and we've seen it just now and it's ever thus. So there's a reason these things are cheap and citing them as cheap is something that's tempting, but it's not a thesis. They're, banks are always cheap. Yep. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that's a great point to make is that, you know, sometimes when investors, um, you know, strategists, whoever, they're off sides, right? Because I think most people were claiming, <clears throat> you know, this year that we were maybe like coming into the year, we're going to have a soft landing or maybe like no recession at all. And you wanted to buy the banks, right? So a lot of people were on that trade in the lead up to the SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank failure and then it was just kind of an easy group to shoot right and we saw it in yeah. life insurers and we saw it in, in 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 brokers like schwab that have like huge balances right like deposit bases that sort of thing so you know that the the, the fact though you know seven and a half percent for the largest bank in the world you know in, in in one day is a heck of a move though right no question but i think it's a function of the environment that we've entered into post yeah. SVB. Uh, the, the thing that's so ironic is that, of course, if you were to look at, at positioning, both at the institutional level and just uh, in, in any retail polls, the single most loved area 
was financials and the yeah. most hated was tech. And they've done the exact opposite. This is uh, why it's such a, uh, you know, a hard game. Yeah. Um, you know, listen, and, and and we also know this is that, you know, expectations in earnings, you know, we've been quoting John Butters over there, facts that he runs the uh, earnings insight blog there, you know, expectations have come down a lot since uh December, right? The end of the year mm-hmm. um, for Q1 earnings. And so when you have companies that have lowered expectations and then they kind of beat those lowered expectations and they're not giving guidance, even though they're saying the lack of visibility for the most part, um, you know, stocks are going to react to that, especially after we had this period of, you know, really acute negative sentiment in and around the banking sector in particular. But again, there's some Bank America tomorrow morning. We have Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, a few others this week. So it'll be interesting to see kind of the tone that they set. Uh, Carter, let's look at like the S&P 500 here. You know, we, we know it's been in a downtrend. We know that it's kind of trying to make a, a little bit of a, a bottoming formation. It's been, um, you know, in a downtrend since the start of January 2022 when it was at 4,800. Um, here we are now, you know, we're making, you know, at least, you know, kind of picking its head up a little bit above that downtrend here. Um, you know, that 200 day or the 150 day that you like to look at, and we're going to hit that people. So stick around why he likes the 150, um, is down there near that uptrend that's been in plate from the October lows. Uh, again, how important is that early February high in the S and P 500 to you? Because then we have that, that August high also here. And, you know, we've asked you on numerous occasions over the last month or two, what would like constitute a meaningful breakout above that downtrend that's been in place for, you know, nearly 16, 17 months. Sure. I mean, the February high, February 2nd being the high is a very important reference point, not just because it is an intermediate high. It represents the continued sequence from the all-time high, which was for January 2021. Each rally has marked a lower high. And so even now we are still below that February high, which itself is below the August high, which is below, below the preceding March high and so forth. So if indeed there's a, a change in the sequence, because as of now, it's just a series of lower highs, the first uh, hurdle, the first objective would be to get above that February high. What's important, of course, is the Russell 2000 doesn't look anything like this, right? It's nowhere near. Uh, we know that the equal weight S&P doesn't look anything like this. And so that it is very much the S&P um, that has this uh, this look. What is so remarkable, of course, and it's always the case, is the symmetry. I mean, the sell-off from the February high to the lows of March and the recovery back, it's literally the same number of days, weeks, hours down, and then back up. And we're now at a critical juncture. And it will be fundamentals. It will be the earnings that resolve this. Do we back away here? Or do we exceed the February high? I remain in the sort of camp that it's not as good as the picture would imply. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, we're like, what, one and a half percent or a little less away from that February high. And we kind of feel a little stuck here. That's a technical term you like to use every once in a while here. Um, So it really will be dictated by some of the larger companies that we get into now with the earnings of the banks kind of in the rearview mirror, assuming there's no big disasters here. I want to throw up the spy chart, the ETF that tracks the S&P 500, because I thought this was kind of interesting. Obviously, it's the same chart, Carter, but I want to kind of go to the options market for a second and, and talk talk a little bit about something. So we're going to have, let's say at least 60, 70% of S&P earnings come out over the next few weeks, right? The next two to three weeks or mm-hmm. so. We also know May 3rd that there's a um, Fed meeting. We also know that Apple, the big kahuna is on May 4th. We know that there's a jobs report on May 5th. We know that a lot of investors are just really focused on what the Fed is going to do, whether they're going to pause, whether inflation readings pick up, whether 
whether, you know, like corporate earnings suggest that the economy is likely to slow. All these sorts of inputs. No one has the answer. No crystal balls out there, right? And so when I look at this chart, this is just another way by drawing these lines going back to, let's say, last spring of 2022, you see a cluster of kind of resistance. At least that's what I see. And I'm not trying to put any words in your mouth. And I see that February high of just, you know, a month and a half ago. And all of a sudden I say to myself, okay, let me look at the options market and see what's implied between now and May 5th, okay? And when I think about May 5th as an important date because all of that information that we're gonna know between now and then, if I, let's say, had a portfolio that tracked very closely to the S&P 500, if I wanted to protect that portfolio by buying an at-the-money put and May 5th weekly expiration card, it costs only five and a quarter dollars, five and a quarter dollars for the 412 May 5th put. Okay, like think about that. That's one and a quarter percent. Like, doesn't that seem like absolutely ridiculous? Even so if the question just- is, when it's that cheap, is it because the market is correctly saying that's not going to happen? Um, or is it just a real opportunity? What do you, what's your interpretation? Well, I mean, my, my take is it's an opportunity depending upon what your mindset is, right? So if you're a trader like me and you like 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 to pick a spot, and let's just say if I'm of the camp, I look at your technical setup and I say, I don't think it's going to get meaningfully above that 419, which was that high in early February. February. But if you were to buy that at the money put right here, and let's say you think on volatility terms is really cheap, and then the S&P or the SPY goes to 419, well, that thing is going to get demolished, right? Like you think about it, that's $5 and a quarter of premium, but it's at the money. And if I thought that we were going to kind of like like go lower right now from here, that looks like a great opportunity because the implied volatility, the price of that option will tick up as it goes lower. So mm-hmm. to me, I just think it's really kind of interesting. I just wanted to make the point you know, for some people who are, let's say, don't want to sell stocks or don't want to sell their indices, but they are nervous over the next few weeks. There's ways to kind of express that. And again, you know, we have a VIX that was, you know, 17. It was 17. This was on Friday's close. It was 17 when the S&P was at the all-time highs back in January 20. 2022. So I'm just curious, like, I know, you know, options, I know you used to trade them on indices, not single names, and you used to do it for hedging purposes, like that sort of thing for your own portfolio. Like, what, what what's your take on that? When I say yeah. that, you probably so, hadn't looked at it yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, it, for myself, I, I sell and it's naked, it's not a good game, because it's risky as hell, right? But I like strangles, um, uncovered. So selling calls, selling puts. And this, to me, seems like a moment where for those who like risk, that's what is right to do. The chart of the S&P is just sort of sitting there and and the bulls have their case and the bears, but it isn't really progressing. In fact, we know that the market is the same price it was two years ago, yeah. same price it was a year ago. It's all just sort of a big, and could really good earnings push it higher? Okay, not 10%, maybe two or three. Could a big miss sink it four or five? Yeah, but it still feels like it's gonna just be here. And so I think you, you know, you sell you sell volatility. Now, maybe with the VIX this low, the premiums aren't enough. I would have to leave that to you. But my yeah. hunch is that it's gonna stay stuck. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think for a lot of people who who watch, you know, market call, I think you know, your trade and you you just definitely gave the disclaimer of selling it out of the money call and selling it out of the money put and doing it naked. You're hoping that the call, you know, will go to zero and the put will go to zero. That the the price or that they'll lose value and you buy it back at half the price. Yeah, and you'll yeah. you'll stay you'll, you'll stay somewhere in between those those strikes and those premiums sold. You know, to me, I don't think that's a great strategy just for most people. 
um, in a low vol environment like this. Cause like, like all of a sudden, if we have another banking hiccup in, in a regional or whatever, and vol picks up and we have a VIX going to 23, you know what I mean? Like that's just a tough um, proposition. Sure, sure. So, so to me, I, I like to, I, I like to think about it in terms of like, what do I own and, and how does maybe being tactical about some sort of protection help me? You know what I mean? Like that, that's the way I'd like to think about it. So, um, okay. I mean, like the S&P to me, um, and I, I think it's important that you mention uh, the Russell because the Russell, the small caps, they do look different. Like, like they seem more correlated towards the regional banks than the XLF does to the S&P right now, right? So yeah. to me, I think that makes some sense. All right, let's look at some names <clears throat> that are reporting this week because I, I think Netflix is going to be one where, you know, a lot of investors are going to kind of cue off of like – Huge move off the lows, right, from last spring. Um, it's had a really, like, nice uptrend that's been in place um, from those levels. It's been very volatile. But, again, this is a stock that trades a lot on their fundamentals, right? Like, when they give, uh, um, you know, a guidance for their subscribers or their costs, like, oh, that sort of thing, this stock has a tendency of moving 10 15% or so. You know, four quarters ago or three or four quarters ago, a 35% move lower now since then it's had a bunch of moves higher right so expectations were low enough and it kept me uh, kept meeting or beating them and then the stocks had this like 100 plus move off the lows what, what what's your thoughts here because the fundamentals for streaming in general have gotten a lot trickier i think they got washed out last year right in a very recessionary environment in a bear market where high valuation names um you know where they saw deceleration got killed it feels like a different market right now Right. I mean, just conceptually, there's nothing more dynamic or uh, potentially rewarding or risky than a high-flying, large-cap growth technology stock, call it Meta Netflix, that stumbles, that then recovers, right? There, there is no greater dynamic in markets. And that's exactly what we see here and what we know Netflix. A great winner that basically collapsed, drops and gaps, earnings related, that's now been on the mend for a long time, which is to say we know the market bottoms in June, all equities, but they make new lows in October and Netflix never look back. Let's put some lines in. Um, we can use moving average, 150 moving average. The stock is checked back to it, bounced. Um, but the bounce, while good, is starting to falter. My own uh, thinking here is that we revisit the 150 day. You can also put in uh, trend lines. And, and that is the point of a moving average is to try to mirror a trend line. But I think we're going to get uh, my bet is lower here and we, we get down to that well-defined uptrend line in effect since the June low. Yeah. And my two cents on that is that <clears throat> I think a lot of the good fundamental news is kind of in the stock here and any sort of hiccup on the subscriber front and some of the competitive stuff that I'm seeing kind of leads me to believe that, you know, like we might see a deceleration of some of the trends that caused um, the stock to have that sort of move off the bottom. And, and let's just do this as a little exercise right here as we get into the meat of earnings season. You know, you'll hear us on Market Call or on Fast Money talk about implied move in the options market. So how do we figure this out here? Let's look at Netflix. Okay. So it's trading around $330 here. So um, I would take the at the money straddle. That is the call premium and the put premium in the weekly option. Okay. So we have a weekly option that expires this Friday on April 21st with the stock at 330. The at the money call is about $15. The at the money put, the 330 put, about $15. You put that together, that's 30. You divide by the strike price, it gets you about 9%. So if you were to buy volatility in Netflix, let's say you did not have a view whether it was going to go up or down. Okay, you could buy the straddle and you could hope for a move at least to 
330 plus the 30 in premium that you paid. So that'd be 360 or higher by Friday's close. Or the flip side of that, it would be $30 less the strike, which is 330. So it gets you down to $300. If you look at that, that's the range that's implied by the options market between now and Friday's close. Let's look at it on a one-year chart here. Okay. And so you see that it really is this kind of um, you know, it's encapsulating this period that it's been in over the last, call it, month or two um, or so. So that is a really high implied move. But like I said, the stock on average over the last four quarters has moved about 16%, and which is kind of skewed by a 35% move um, in one direction. Why do we speak about implied moves? Because it's really interesting to kind of get a sense for, you know, if the move is higher than it's been in uh, over the last period or so, whether it's lower, it just gives you a sense for sentiment here. So I just kind of wanted to check in on the implied move that seems like a lot and that's one of the reasons why we often say long premium directional trades using options into events like earnings is a really hard way to make money because the dealers the market makers are going to pump up the premiums so they don't get run over prior to that if there is a, an outsized move one way or another but to carter's point before is that selling premium and that's what these market makers generally like to do into events that's how you make money um in the options market all right carter another big one this week Wednesday, after the close, Tesla, the implied move is about $14 in either direction, about 7% or so. I know that you've had a couple notes out over the last couple of weeks. Let's just kind of check in on this one here and your thoughts. Sure. I mean, what's important about Tesla, of course, obviously, it's 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 a very large cap company, but it it's the, it's the intersection of so many things. It's consumer. We know this, right? But it's not just going consumer to McDonald's. It's a big purchase. So it speaks to financing and leverage. It's global. It's, it deals with the dollar. It also is animal spirits. It's the single most hated or loved stock uh, in the marketplace with some of the most active options. And so uh, what to do? I think it's it's going to work lower here, but this uh, channel, sort of the lines draw themselves. There are other ways to do it. Um, let's look at the next iteration. This is with the 150-day moving average. By all accounts, we know we're in a downtrend and we're struggling as we keep bumping our head up against the 150-day. If we were to really go short term, and you can see that in the next iteration, um, you know, this is uh, this is the, where it all sort of the rubber hits the road, as they speak. We will we will come out of this formation. It's bullish. It's going up. This is obvious. If it's a bad outcome, it's going down. I've drawn the red arrow. I think we break down here, and so we shall see. But the day-to-day uh, relative performance, the market is poor, and um, I, I, I'm, I'm betting against it. Yeah, so this is one <clears throat> we talk about a lot um, on Market Call and on the Tape Podcast. And, you know, to me, like, obviously, I'm pretty negative on this thing. And um, I just think all the price cuts, and they just put through another price cut, right, in the face of a slowing economy and a place of um, just high inventories as it relates to autos after a period of low supply, high demand. Um, I, I just I, I don't see it. And, you know, the stock ran up until the end of last quarter. Um, because of the excitement about deliveries and and maybe making up some market share um, back in, in some of the, the the sales that they had lost late last year, um, you know, through those price cuts. But to me, it really is about margins. And so if we see pressure on their gross margins, that's what this whole story is about. That's why the stock is up 50% on the year, you know, despite it's down from 400, it's trading at $185. I, I just, to me, I don't find it particularly interesting. If they were to beat 
you know, uh, margin expectations. Um, you know, I just don't know how they get there because we just saw their Q1 deliveries. They were lower than expectations with multiple price cuts in there. So to me, you know, might it squeeze, uh, you know, I would look to sell it um, again if it, if it gapped. Um, higher on that. But to me, I think a lot of the good news is in the stock. And I think that, you know, people are kind of loaded up on this one and they're trying to defend it a little bit. I think if margins are worse than expected, I think competition's likely taking its toll. Um, this thing breaks. I think it fills in that gap, Carter, back towards 150, which mm-hmm. was that January gap. And that that would be kind of my near-term target there. Yeah. And that's a reasonable downside. I mean, to be clear and to be fair, right, the, the, uh, the red arrow is subjective. One could say you could just have drawn a green arrow. Of course, that's that's why there are people that have buy ratings on Tesla and sell ratings. But a very wise approach would say don't play, right? A lot of people say this is clearly a moment of equilibrium. The stock is after collapsing in December, recovering dramatically up from 100 to 200, is basically kind of stuck, going nowhere. Why just have an event-based roll of the dice? Okay, earnings are good, earnings are bad. And so Equally good technique is to have no arrows, and green or red, and say, listen, I don't want to play with this thing right now. Let someone else do it. Perfectly valid. Yeah, and I guess I, I would just say this. I mean, to me, <clears throat> the risk is that on, on a better-than-expected number, the stock gets back towards, let's call it $200. That's in line with the, the implied move. It's also the downtrend, and that would be if you want to sit on your hands and wait. I think that might be, if it's a low-quality beat, a good place to kind of uh, put something out on the short side. All right, here's another big tech name, Carter. This would be Alphabet. Um, the stock's down 3.5% today. There was a report out that Samsung might be looking to replace Google search on its devices um, with Bing. They like what's going on with OpenAI and the functionality there. What's interesting to me about this is that globally, you know, you think about what Android market share is, right? So that's the opposing operating system to what Apple uses. Um, You know, Samsung makes up a lot of Android phones here. So if they're going to switch their search, um, this could be a big boon for Microsoft as far as it relates to them kind of catching some some ground here on the on the market share front um with google which is just dominated right on search so thoughts on google here because this is one where it's been really volatile since a lot of this open-eyed chatter has come out over the last few months carter and it really felt the way it closed late last week that it wanted to kind of break out of this range or so and i'm just curious your thoughts because on valuation google is probably one of the the best mega cap priced, okay? And I know what you're going to say about that. You know what I mean? But um, to me, I think that's one of the things I hear again and again and again about Alphabet. You know what I mean? Is that valuation relative to some of its mega cap tech peers looked like it was trying to buy them. What are you thinking here? Well, just in terms of, regardless of whether it is cheap or not, relative to its own historical valuation and relative to other names, Apple, Microsoft, what have you, it is lower in terms of valuation than it's been. But let's look at the charts and um, see what we might see. So again, the point of a moving average is to measure trend. All the moving average is an automated trend line. So instead of drawing lines, which we can, uh, we use a moving average. And so the question is a great bull phase in 2021, a bear phase in 22, and is it reversing from bear to bull or what's known as at least from this analyst's point of view, a bearish to bullish reversal buy. I think that's what's going on. Um, we can put in a trend line just to make the point. Uh, you can use the trend line and the moving average, put them together. The point is we're on the cusp of, of an official turn in the 150 moving average. Um, my thinking is to be long. 
Okay. And, and, and again, that breakout is, is pretty powerful. And I think the valuation, I know that it's not a great one for like high growth mega cap tech, you know, companies, but on a relative basis, it is one of the reasons that, like I said, I keep hearing people very excited about, and maybe it's kind of built in some downside protection because, you know, uh, listen, if there's a tape bomb that comes out, says a Samsung is switching next year from, you know, uh, Google search to Bing, it's not going to be an instantaneous sort of thing. You're going to have a gap lower, but then the stock probably recovers. And I always find it interesting to see how stocks that might be in good technical formations that have good fundamentals, let's say, other than a piece of news that comes out, how do they act after that news comes out, right? And so it would be interesting if it got back below that downtrend, let's say there was a piece of news or a disappointing quarter or something like that, um, but analysts are willing or investors are willing to look by it, does it find support where it's supposed to, maybe that 150-day moving average? So um, thanks for that. All right, let's look at retail. I know that you had a great note out on Worth Charting on Friday um, about Walmart. We we focused on it um, on Fast Money. I guess it was on Thursday, um, Carter, and it was really um, – I mean, about as good as it gets as far as setups, right? As far as banging up against technical resistance in a downtrend, but also, you know, your arrow was pointing down towards the uptrend that had been in place. Again, you're just calling for like a 10, you know, 12% check back to yeah. that uptrend. I thought that was really interesting, but it sounds like it got you thinking about retail as a space in general. That's right. So Walmart, obviously a big name in, in a way it's, it's, it, is Target really a competitor? Is Amazon a competitor? Walmart is sort of uniquely, it's the grocery store, right? It's so Costco, but it's also a huge online presence, also just the big one. Um, but it's um, defensive and it's rallied to a difficult level. And my thinking is you you faded here. So it is a minimum. Most people are long anyway, 95% all capital as long. If you're long, write some calls or trim, take some money off the table. But for those who do sell short, I think you have an opportunity here, whether it's outright or through options to catch a swoon um, this is the Walmart chart from last week. No lines. Let's put some in. Um, you know, basically, that's a well-defined downtrend line. You can put the arrows in to show how precise it is. And what we've got here is, I think, something you bet against and catching it for a, a downdraft. Um, I just, it's a big move to a difficult level. It's a staples that's, uh, I, the lines have to, does it mean it has to go to the bottom? That's what, that's what my eye sees. Yeah, no, it, it seems like, and I think you mentioned it with options and maybe later on this week, <clears throat> I'll detail like a put spread that would kind of outline that range from where it, you know, is banging up against that resistance and possibly on its way back to that uptrend. And, um, you know, there's probably a way to target something before their earnings, you know, they're going to report um, in late May. Um, and especially if you kind of, our guys are getting the gist and gals of our, our, our fundamental bent as far as, uh, or at least the way we're leaning as far as the market over the next few weeks. I, I, Carter, I just want to, before we hit the XRT and the retail um, ETF, you know, we've seen this pattern, right, over the course of the last, call it year and a quarter, where we had stocks get oversold into earnings. They've rallied. Maybe they've rallied a little further than some of us would have liked if we've been bearish, but they've gone back and they've retested those prior lows and they've made new lows, right? And so, so far this year, we have not seen that. I mean, it looked like the S&P was almost down on the year after being up close to 10% at one point um, in early March. And so like, you know, to me, I think we're getting to a point where a lot of news is in the stocks. And if it's not better than expected news, it's likely to see like the sort of trend that we've seen over the last, call it, you know, 12 to 15 months or so where we kind of go back and at least put a little bit fear back into the market. And so um, is it, are you of the mindset that you want to kind of pick on some of the weak sectors? Is that why the XRT um, is something that's kind of catching your eye? Because Walmart, what you just said, is a large component of the retail space. Well, 
it, it's acted pretty well, right? It's up, yeah. you know, five and a half percent of the year, deemed to be a little bit defensive. So throw it in the staple camp, like you said. Uh, I'm just curious because retail in general, looking at the XRT, feels a lot weaker, let's say, than a Walmart. Right. In terms of shorting, generally, you either go after extreme strength, something that's overpriced and thinking that it's overdone, or you press weakness, right? Something that's sick that's going to uh, prospectively get worse. But the XRT is an interesting um, ETF, of course, because it's equal weight. It's 89 stocks, 2.5 trillion, um, but no stock has more than 1.65% weight. So it's got Amazon and Walmart and Costco and Home Depot and all every big one, but it's got Gap and Urban Outfitters and Foot Locker and on and on. And and look at the chart. One could say, but isn't that bottoming? It's been trying, but it's taking a little too long. Let's put some lines in. So um, now one could say, okay, here come the lines. That's in your eye. Fair enough. Let's do it and pull it back and do a little bit longer term. And so the question is, and we're going to get to the relative next, does this just continue to muddle along the bottom or is there downside risk? I think it breaks. Uh, let's keep going with the uh, charts and see what we find next. So I've got an arrow in there. It says we're sellers. But look also at the next iteration. And this is important. Um, if you extend the trend line from the COVID low, uh, we're at risk of breaching that trend line. It's also not random that the February strength, look at the next chart, the February rally went right to the August high. How precise? Take a look at these numbers. I mean, this is incredible, right? $75.78, $75.77. We got right to the and of course, we know this, that the market's February 2nd high is nowhere near its August high. But the XRT got literally to the penny and failed. You have the elements of a double top. But the relative is what's really, uh, and we can see that in the next uh, several charts. If you look at the relative performance, and so now it's the same chart on the top XRT, but now look at relative performance to the S&P. If we go through the next several uh, charts, you'll see. So the XRT is, is actually fairly comfortably above its autumn low. We're about to make new relative lows of the S&P. And this is the issue. I mean, the consumer, yes, there are restaurant stocks that are up and there are certain uh, individual stocks are up. But this is a broad basket of stocks with $2.6 in market cap. And it's not so good. Look at the next, um, if we have another. And then we can zero in and make this really tight, the here and now chart. And the final chart is basically you're looking at a two-panel chart, XRT at the top, and you're looking at the XRT's relative performance, simply a ratio of it to the S&P on the bottom. We're at risk of breaching right now uh, to new 52-week lows. It's, it's not a great setup. Yeah, no, that's a great uh, run through there. And, and we're going to look at some trade ideas um, in the space over the next couple of weeks. On, on the tape with Liz Young this morning, we talked about some of the consumer data that appears to be um, weakening too. And that seems to be a good setup um, for some of these uh, retail names to the downside here. So um, Carter, before we get out of here really quickly, um, this is from at Volcano, uh, Volcano Man 13. Can you ask Carter to speak to why he prefers the 150-day moving average to the 200-day moving average? Sure. It's a big subject, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's come up in the 32 years. And I always start, and this is going to be some of the biggest institutional money managers in the world, hedge funds, pension plans, big uh, state endowments. When I've had the question, I've had it over and over. The first thing I ask them is, well, why do you use the 200? It's kind of fun. Guess what? I've gotten three answers in 32 years. The first is, um, um, it's always a bit awkward, of course. Uh, uh, th 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 that's, the, that's the number of trading days in a, what? In a, no, 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 it's not. So something that's just not true. The second is, um, well, 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 that was the that was the default. What you just sat down because that was what William O'Neill used. That's what the default on Bloomberg was. So you just started driving the car because it was there. 
And the third answer, I've never gotten a straight answer is, you know, Carl, I just don't know. <laughs> it's a big subject. I did a lot of work on it with my teacher and mentor. Um, but I will invite you to use it and also consider this. There's this notion of a short-term moving average crossing over a longer-term moving average, 50 and 200, mm -hmm. so-called golden cross and death mm -hmm. cross. That's a very busy-looking chart. You watch the short-term overshoot and then come back. What's interesting is the moment at which a short-term moving average of 50, for instance, crosses above a 200, you can use one moving average, 150. The 150 will actually go flat typically a little bit before the point at which a 50 will cross above or below a 200. One moving average is better than two. It's cleaner for the eye. Mm -hmm. And we've also found that it measures trend. But, but most importantly, and I would ask this person who's asking me, why in the hell do you use the 200? I know you don't <laughs> have an answer. I know you don't have an answer. My, my answer is that that's what was on my facts. Exactly. 25 years ago when I started looking at charts. All right, Carter Braxton, we're good charting. Thank you so much, man. You did a lot of heavy lifting. You'll be back with me on Wednesday. I yeah. can't wait for that. So thanks. That's going to do it for Market Call today. Thanks to Fatset for providing us with all of the charts and data for this broadcast. Danny Moses, Demo, is going to be with me tomorrow on Market Call at 1 p.m. We'll see you then. Thanks a lot, peeps.